Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. Uh, we are joined once uh, again by Annette Freeman, Chris Wasser and Dean McGuinness. Good afternoon to you all. Hello. Yeah, Hello, very good. We'll just pretend uh, that uh, Chris is still here. Uh, Chris <laughs> is uh, slightly delayed, but he's just about to run into the studio breathless and sweating like a mad thing uh, at any second now. Uh, what be- beers are we talking about today? There's a lot of them there, Dean. We, we have a few, yeah. I, I had a thought a few weeks ago that I was going to look at the evolution of Irish Red Ale. And then I got a, into a chat with a, a very good beer writer, Martin Cornell, on Twitter. Uh, where he claimed that Irish Red Ale was a bogus style that didn't really exist and it was really just English bitter in disguise. Oh my God, I assume that's I a hugely controversial thing to say. It, it, the, the world, <coughs> there was a little nuclear explosion in the world of beer. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, so what we're looking at is traditional Irish Red Ale and we have one from Sullivan's Brewing Company which has a member of the Smithix family involved in it. Um, okay. Because Smithix was brewed down in Kilkenny but since then Diageo, who owned the Smithix brand now, um, have shut down the Kilkenny Brewery so it's being brewed in Dublin um, but they are reinvigorating the Smithix tradition with um, Malting's Irish Red Ale and uh, we have and, from and sorry to interrupt you there but like the Smithix family like it wasn't abs- Smithix wasn't absorbed into Diageo or those kind of things Smithix was and the brand was but the family uh, exists as human beings ah, they, they do yeah okay, well, I'm glad to hear that because you know sometimes like you know Somebody, they say, like, there is no really, you know, um, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken or, you know, those people that are associated yeah, no, with them. There's, there's a yeah, Smithix there's a family. People, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's and, good to know. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, Hello no. to all the Smithix family who are listening. I was just picturing them kind of being kept <laughs> yeah, in a corner somewhere. somewhere yeah. Okay, we'll let them out now. <laughs> just one. <laughs> so we've got uh, two other Irish Red Ales then. Um, Misfit from Treaty City in Limerick and Killarney Brewing Company that will do a side, side by side. But we are asking the vexed question is Irish Red Ale really just English bitter in disguise or is it in reverse and we'll be having a little chat about uh, the fake uh, Irish Red Ale that triggered uh, Martin's blog post uh, which is George Killian's uh, Irish Red in America right. that most Irish people haven't heard of. Right, okay. And this fellow who's, who, who made these assertions is he of the British persuasion? He is of the British. <laughs> it's strange that, that yeah. he is of the British yeah. persuasion. So it just never like stops, does it? No. <laughs> yeah, no I, I, I thought You'd think maybe... 800 years would be enough for them. After Brexit I thought maybe yeah. this was an effort to try to improve Anglo-Irish relations that missed the mark just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we interviewed a fella earlier on now. I Actually, given... Given your uh, encyclopedic knowledge of how alcohol works, plus you know your slightly nerdy knowledge of like space stuff, uh, uh, we were we interviewed this fellow who like, they make this champagne that they're going to go into space. I was listening. Yeah, uh, a few of the listeners are kind of a bit skeptical that that would actually work or not. What, what do you think? Yeah, it's it's a strange thing. The the uh, I, 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 am I allowed to use the word mouthfeel? I, yes. I, oh, yeah. okay. Go Claire's on. Back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, Chris. Now, Chris Wasser here. He's never heard you say that before. He's still, <laughs> suddenly folded his arms in a defensive posture. <laughs> but the, the mouthfeel is likely to be very interesting because the action of the carbonation is going to be completely different. In mm. Champagne, you've got five bar of pressure, which is quite high. One bar of pressure is the normal atmospheric pressure. And uh, once you go, go above three bar in wine, it's considered to be sparkling. And they need to use a cage on the cork just because mm. it could fly off if the, if the uh, bottle got agitated or, or if it warmed up. But when you're tasting uh, beer, you've got carbon dioxide uh, dissolved in 
in it, as in with champagne. And that comes out of suspension in your mouth and that gives you a buzz. Now, carbon dioxide in beer um, will technically react with the water in the beer and it'll form carbonic acid. But carbonic acid is a very, very weak acid, so you don't get uh, uh, the kind of sour taste that you would get out of a sour beer, which mm. is coming from acetic or, or citric acid in the in the beer. So you've got this kind of buzz on your tongue, which I expect isn't going to happen in space mm. because you don't have the same uh, uh, physical kind of... Uh, yeah, and, and yeah, apparently astronauts all say everything tastes bland, like everything tastes like chicken in space, <laughs> uh, as we all know. So it'd be kind of chicken-flavoured champagne. Though, yeah, really yeah um, part of that is your, your nasal cavities drying out and uh, it being harder to capture aromatics. And also part of it is the, like when you're drinking something particularly that's carbonated, it um, kind of catapults the aromatics into the air so they're more likely to go up your nose whereas in space they just kind of wander <laughs> yeah. okay well there around. you go that, that uh, <laughs> champagne producer has wasted five years of their life why didn't you ask Dean McGuinness first also the last thing you want to be when you're operating the space shuttle or whatever it is you're doing up there <laughs> no well no don't you know, you know heavy machinery and all the rest of us <laughs> uh, um, uh, so yeah. you'd think not but apparently they're, what they're going to do on the space station not allowed drink but they have this private company and that the, the private company is going to send up their own little module which docks with the space station so effectively there's a bar next door uh, so it's like the bar in the airport you can go in there and the rules don't apply yeah you still probably get served quicker up there as well and then you kind of come out again sort of thing (laughs) anyway Chris where the hell were you Uh, thank you for your patience (laughs) not try and make it from Knockline to town you know 2 o'clock on on a Friday afternoon handy tip for their uh, listeners Uh, right bros is is bros like they were going bros is like the first kind of gay rom-com it is yeah it's certainly been marketed that way that Billy Eichner who co-wrote the screenplay with the director Nicholas Stoller they are saying that this is the first major uh, mainstream studio uh, rom-com uh, featuring a same-sex couple and a predominantly LGBTQ plus cast um, I'm not quite sure we'll get into that because another film earlier this year might have beat them to it but it is a rom-com with two guys out in front we don't see an awful lot of those and the other film we're going to be looking at is Wendell and Wilde which is a stop-motion treat from Henry Selleck uh, who if you don't have never heard the name before a lot of people think Tim Burton gave us The Nightmare Before Christmas mm. he came up with the story it's based on something he did as a kid it was Henry Selleck's magic uh, so this is a stop-motion film director who has only ever he's only done a handful of movies in his life one of them is Wendell and Wilde uh, is Wendell and Wilde aimed at kids because I think stop motion is really scary stop and motion I, is like, freaky grown up yeah stuff, and, and it's and it's uh, it's one of the animated forms as well that I, I appreciate so much because you can tell this must have taken them so long to shoot mm. to edit to put together uh, yeah so I have an awful lot of love for it but it's for kids and also adults because it, uh, it reunites uh, Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key of the Key and Peele sketches and it's also uh, features a screenplay uh, by Jordan Peele co-written by Jordan Peele who you know is, is more kind of into giving us you know adult oriented horrors yeah. so there's something there for everyone okay so is there a point given Jordan Peele wrote it is this really about racism uh, no there's not no yeah. no we'll get into that actually but it's not like nope and not like get out <laughs> there's no real there, there are messages there but they're actually more for, for uh, yeah I suppose that the messages in this film are more for, for kids and for teenagers but it's not as weighty a film as, right. as Get Out. Okay, well, it's not a bad thing at all. No. Right, Paul Mascot, what's he doing now? 
Did you say Paul Mescal? I know, you know I, always, I always trip over his name. I don't know why. Mescal. Paul Mescal. Maybe yeah, I'm yeah. pronouncing it Mescal. wrong. Mescal. I don't yeah. know why I say that. Anyways. Yeah. Anyways. The, we've got some really uh, exciting news here because he's going to be a uh, lead in a modern day espionage thriller called A Spy by Nature, which is actually part of a best-selling book by um, Charles Cummings. So this uh, book called Alex M- Milnos, is that how you pronounce it? It's a spy book series. Don't ask me. Uh, I can't sorry. say Mescal properly. <laughs> but Mescal's character is going to be a disillusioned 20-something whose gift for lying catches the eye of MI6 and how that affects his professional and private life. So like obviously if it's a, a book series already maybe oh, there's going to be maybe some James series Bondi in this. type vibe there. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but it's going to be directed by BAFTA winner Kevin MacDonald and he's described as Mescal as the perfect star for this movie. Um, he met him many years ago and he's described him as um, intelligent and skilled and youthful and he knew that he had found the perfect star for um, the the movie when he met him and so it's a very modern spy story sexy, dangerous and the only actor um, with the talent pulled off is Paul is that what he, that's Sexy, what he dangerous and morally ambivalent is Paul M- Maskell morally ambivalent? I didn't know that that's, that's, that's an interesting one <laughs> Anyways it, yeah. it had me at sexy and dangerous yes. so I, uh, so Well I he probably had you at sexy and dangerous anyway Yeah he, yeah. Yeah, he did Yeah, yeah. Uh, So qu- quite excited about that one <laughs> Yeah will he, be an, will he be an English character? Yeah, I guess so. If it's MI6, yeah. So yeah. let's. I wonder how. Still though, if he was an MI6 and he just slipped in a, you know, a gas shirt at some point, that or would be shorts. brilliant. Or, or the shorts, gas shorts, yeah. which he's more famous for. Yeah. But um, he he's um after son the movie that he's starring in that he's lead role in is um debuting in Dublin in next month at a film festival on November eighteenth. So, but this is obviously there's no date for this movie. It's it's a little bit away. Right, so. and you also have Karate Kid. This is now turning into a massive franchise. The Karate Kid. Well, it is. Um, this is um an interview that was done with Ralph. Macheo um, was a part of an interview that he'd done promoting his memoir Waxing On uh, The Karate Kid and Me Waxing On do you like that? That's good, yes honestly. right song like um, yes, so uh, he um, spoke about this how the backstory to Mr Miyagi you know should be explored more in you know maybe a prequel to The Karate Kid and that the story you know that there's you know there's more to Mr Miyagi that in the movie you know uh, he had a lasting impact on, on the movie and the backstory which included his tragic past involving his service in World War II and his internment in camps in the US um, so they're hoping that maybe well that's what he wants that maybe there might be a movie out of that um, but obviously Mr Miyagi has passed away he did yeah. in 2005 so he mightn't so want it at all no. <laughs> <laughs> but he has maybe no not. say in the matter has he no but if, uh, but if they can reboot it why not And uh, but his legacy has been through Cobra King as well mm. uh, obviously on Netflix and uh, that's obviously wrapped up it's fifth series um, so yeah there could be okay alright for fan- well I mean because d- that spin off series uh, you know was it very done good really well Massive, really popular yeah, I didn't watch fans. it but yeah. uh, for fans of Cross yeah. Kid absolutely it was big uh, Texas such says, a terrible idea though exploring like some mysteries are great because they're mysteries yeah exactly I'm so tired now of every character who was in the corner of every franchise getting a film about their background I mean all we're short of at this stage is knowing their PPS number what they had for lunch <laughs> oh, yeah. you don't need backstories for these characters I know this is a terrible example uh, but Grey's Anatomy has yes. has one character this is a woman she's an Asian woman and like she's been in the 19,000 series of it and she's always in the background you know have these scenes where or, you know, somebody's brain is split open and they're operating on this person while talking about their feelings. Uh, and, and all these other people are there listening to these surgeons talking. Yeah. But this Asian woman is there, has never said anything uh, for however many, the entire... Now, sooner or later, she's going to be a kick-ass private eye who's been, you know, or something, you know. 
Uh, she's going to get some series. That's what's going to happen. It's nuts. Uh, somebody says, isn't there a beer pronounced mezcal? Maybe that's why you... Yes. Mezcan. Mezcan. Yeah. Mezcan. Mezcan, yeah. Yes. So, no, that isn't the reason why I say it that way. Uh, yeah. I, I keep messing up his name. <laughs> Miles says, my granddaughter told me this one. Did you hear they're making cheese on the space station now? They call it space debris. <laughs> Go on, she's a little girl. Yes, let's laugh, let's laugh, yeah. I thought it was funny, Miles. All these people in here are monsters. Right, let's uh, move on to our first uh, uh, fake uh, oh, no, no, fake ale. ale. It's the English person that's claiming that they're fake. Uh, so, no, we're, we're tasting one in, and we're starting with the one that has the heritage of the Smithicks family involved in the, the brewery. Um, it is 5% as compared to the current Smithicks, which is 3.8% ABV. So, um, in terms of appearance, it has the appearance that you expect as the uh, kind of ruby red brown uh, colour that you associate with Irish red ales that comes from the mould that's used in the, the brewing uh, flavours that come through coffee uh, sorry uh, toffee caramel um, a little bit of roast character in it there's a, a bit of kind of hedgerow um, fruit uh, in it in the background mm-hmm. as well but what kind of triggered the, the chat was um, uh, a blog post that uh, Martin Cornell has done uh, suggesting that Irish red ale is a bogus style uh, now, he was um, conciliatory enough to also acknowledge that beer styles didn't really exist in terms of the term beer style before 1980. Uh, so to suggest that beer style, a beer style from a few hundred years ago wasn't a real beer style when beer style wasn't a real thing is kind of a, bit yeah. of a challenge in the first place. But his argument is that uh, he put uh, a beer called George Killian's uh, Irish Red at the centre of the argument. Now, he's done a superb uh, blog post about it and he's researched it very well. Uh, the 22nd version of the blog post is that it is a beer that was originally brewed by a French company that wanted to do a new beer that they were going to call Beer Russe because that sounds uh, Irish. Um, they linked up with uh, the Letts family that had been brewing historically and had kept their brewing license, but that weren't brewing anymore. And started brewing it for the US market, putting a picture of George Lett into the advertising. George Lett being called Bill because his father was called George and his grandfather was called George. But then they decided because he was loose with his name, because his actual name is George John Lett, not George Bill or William Lett. uh, They decided that it was fair enough to change his name to Killian randomly. So it became George Killian, um, even though his name isn't George Killian. And they named the beer George Killian's Irish Red Ale until such time as it was brewed by Coors, who then changed it to a lager and took the ale from the end of the name and also <laughs> Jesus I need to lie down <laughs> and then they decided just, just to finish it off they decided that they'd put Christopher Plummer into the advertising because if you want to advertise an Irish red ale what you want is a Canadian actor who's famous for playing uh, singing Nazi in the Second World War yes indeed in a tweed jacket it's to advertise it's the first it. place you'd go to really yes. yeah. <laughs> so was it a success on the back? fortunately because of Cora's um, kind of marketing muscle it is what a lot of people think of in the States when they think of Irish Red Ale. I, I used to work in, in New York as a bartender in the 90s and I was exposed to George Killian's Irish Red and everybody seemed to speak enthusiastically about it being an Irish beer and I'd never heard of it before in my yeah. life. And um, it's just a totally fake Irish beer. It's just, yeah, a, yeah. a made-up brand uh, from a French company brewed by an American company for a market using a Canadian actor who is famous for being an Austrian <laughs> Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> so. But it is 
right. You will like, especially in the states, you'll go into 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 stores, uh, and you'll see they have kind of fake Kerry gold, oh, yep, which yep. doesn't say it's Irish, but it kind of no, does, have, goes out of its way no, to imply it's Irish. Irish. Oh no, the, there's the actual Kerry gold there. Yeah, yeah. oh, but I you know do that. Have, uh, there, there is a Killarney beer over there, which yeah. is going to drive the uh, the, the uh, poor people in the Killarney Brewing Company uh, distraction. But it's brewed, I think, by Anna Bush, uh, Killarney Red Ale again. Never heard of the Clarny Red Ale that's in America in Ireland, but you've got Clarny Brewing Company, and sometimes Anheuser Busch can be a bit litigious. Um, I know that uh, they claimed to own St. Patrick's um, and uh, went legal on people trying to use St. Patrick's in beer names. And, really? Yeah, uh, that's kind of taking a step too far if you're okay. Irish. All right. Uh, yeah, and who sued we, who on the basis of that? It was Anheuser Busch strongly suggesting that uh, St. Patrick's not be used uh, in brewing uh in a brewing context so right. the, the name was kind of morphed a bit to to to, to uh, keep them happy St. Into, Patrick's how can they own St. Patrick's you would think that that's a step too far, far. Yeah, yeah yeah but um, as you say they're highly litigious they, so, they, they so tend to be a they little sue bit a lot. yeah, yeah they're a wonderful company this yes. is your last time on the show Dean. <laughs> uh, so what movie uh, will we we talk about first Chris we'll start with bros uh, we'll start with bros movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk you like dumb guys. What? Yeah, you heard me. I see what you like. You like these big, like, bro-y, like, meathead idiots. Oh, is that what you like, Aaron? Yeah, you want to play with the big boys, huh? Oh, look, Aaron, they're fighting. You want to be in the fight? Yeah, you like that? Hey. Yeah, I can be tough. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can be tough oh, like your you boys. Like to do? Yeah. Like oh, that's what you like, huh? Oh, now you're on my blanket, bro. Yeah, yeah, get on my blanket, bro. Oh, now, blanket, oh, now you want yeah, on my big yeah. blanket? Now you want to be on my big blanket? I can be aggressive. Oh, there you are. There you are. I can be aggressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's going on? Oh, yeah. Okay, man. Yeah, man. okay, I don't know what was happening in the second bit, but we'll let you figure that out yourself. Right, uh, bros, at the same time, and I'm just basing it on this clip, it's great, it's an LGBT uh, um, comedy, mm-hmm. but is it any different to any other kind of dumb romantic comedy? Not really. No, yeah. I think I would like to think that it is. Uh, and I came across this piece last week that spoke about how just, you know, it's commendable and there's an awful lot of history here and we should be celebrating the fact that, you know, it is a major studio romantic comedy with a same-sex couple at its centre, but that doesn't mean that it's above criticism when it comes to mm. the actual story, the plot, the performances. Um, I mentioned earlier that another film might have gotten there first. Uh, we actually had a uh, 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 Pride Island, or sorry, Fire Island, uh, which was a, a gay, uh, subversive uh, adaptation of uh, Pride and Prejudice, which right, was uh, okay. funded by Fox, but actually arrived on Disney Plus, uh, which is a, <laughs> you think oh, was, is, yeah. a, is a weird home for, for, for that film. But uh, yeah, it, that, so that arrived a few months ago. And so I'd actually look at that as maybe like one of the first major uh, uh, same-sex rom-coms. Um, but Billy, Billy Eichner, a lot of people will know him as, you know, Billy on the streets. Mm. He is more of a household name, I suppose, in America than, than, than he is here. But he made this with Nicholas Stoller they actually worked together on an underappreciated uh, comedy series which Ke- Keegan-Michael Key was into on uh, Netflix called Friends from College um, and it was that that Nicholas Stoller who pre- who's made a bunch of rom-coms he made uh, the five-year engagement uh, the one with uh, what was it uh, Emily Blunt and, and, and Jason Segel um, so this guy has form in that genre and while making Friends from College and casting Billy Eichner and he thought this guy's a bit of a movie star so they worked together on this to get this off the ground so Billy Eichner co-wrote the screenplay with Nick and he's also taking the lead here as a guy named Bobby Lieber he's a successful radio host podcast host and kind of one of those guys that you know 
know, is very successful doing a thing that other people do but make no money from. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and he lives in Manhattan, but his dream gig is actually to curate what this film uh, deems the, the world's first, I'm not sure if, 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 I'm sure there are actual museums in real life, but the world's first national LGBTQ plus history museum in Manhattan. So he'll be putting that all together with a team. And just as this fantastic career opportunity comes along and he's telling all of his friends, I'm all about the work. I, I, I like being single. I don't want to get attached to anybody. Along comes Aaron, who right. is this walking, talking, charming, chiseled dreamboat of a man. He's played by Luke McFarlane, who is actually, his uh, CV includes an awful lot of Hallmark romantic comedies, which this film actually takes the mickey out of. <laughs> and they're both, they're both very different, but both for, alike in that, you know, they're, they're, they're claiming that they're emotionally unavailable, they're perennially single, they're happy with that, but they're drawn to one another. And one of them thinks, oh, I'm not hot enough for this relationship. The other one thinks I'm not smart enough, but you know that they're going to get together. And as much as this film would like to kick against the, as it call, as as it actually refers to in this, you know, the heteronormative structures of normal rom coms because it's very self aware. It's very, you know, it knows what it's doing with mm. every punchline. Every punchline has been so polished to let us know that it knows that it's trying to be a romantic comedy. As much as it's trying to be different. It's quite conventional. It, it, it adheres to that three-act structure. You know, people who wouldn't normally get together, get together. They have their honeymoon period. They fall out over some stupid reason. Yeah, and yeah. you know that there's going to be some mad dash at the end where they'll get back together. So it, it, it's trying to be something different. It's not really. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, but so is it... Is it going to be in, in cinemas, this film? It is going to be in cinemas, yeah. It goes on nationwide release today. Uh, now, th- look, I, actually, I'm, I'm glad that we didn't end on that. I did like this. I did. Yeah. I just, I don't think, I, I think it could have been an awful lot better. I think it could have been an awful lot shorter. This film actually stretches to the two-hour mark. And I was thinking to myself, what is, the most, what is the perfect romantic comedy? There is only one correct answer to that, and that is When Harry Met Sally. And aside from the performances, the direction, the beautiful writing there, it clocked in at 96 minutes. Yeah. That is all you need for mm. a romantic comedy. That mm. You can't tell me that, bro, is going to use that extra half hour to kind of you know reinvent the genre unless there's a massive fight scene at the end yeah right. exactly exactly. <laughs> but the performances here are quite lovely I thought Eichner worked very well with McFarlane it is very funny at times it, it can be you know it is undeniably romantic you you know that's more than you know that when, when we're looking for, for a great romantic comedy you want it to be funny you want it to be romantic I just think if Billy Eichner had been maybe a little bit more some of his lines in this film, I was thinking, are we listening to a character speaking here or are we listening to a stand-up routine? Yeah, you know, there's yeah, an awful yeah. lot. There, it, it's a bit too polished the way everyone mm. speaks to one another. But it is worth it for the scenes where Billy, uh, or Bobby as his character is here, is planning uh, the creation of this museum. And he's sitting at a table as this, cis, uh, as this cisgender uh, uh, gay man with a transgender person, with a lesbian, with a bisexual. And the arguments that they have that are indicative <laughs> of real-life challenges in that community... Yeah. They are priceless. So there's an awful lot to like here. I just don't think it's as clever as it thinks it is. Right. Okay. Uh, fair enough. So it's kind of three star stuff. Three, oh, solid yeah. three star stuff. Yeah. Give it a go. Yeah. And also yeah. I should say it actually bombed in America. Uh, which is not sp- really? but yeah, 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 particularly middle America, uh, which well, is quite, yeah. yeah, it's quite depressing, but uh, not a surprise. But uh, yeah, make the effort, go and see this. Yeah, uh, the uh, just going back to uh, that Killian beer. George Killian let did exist. I, I don't Dean wasn't oh, yes. denying his existence. Uh, he was George uh, George John Let's grandfather. Let's of Enniscorthy are still in business as a drink wholesaler. They are Guinness's oldest customer in Ireland. George Killian's Irish beer was made from a real recipe from the Let Brewery on Mill Park. Park Road and escort the archives. It's not a makey uppy beer. Uh, there is an Irish pub in Paris called the George Killian, uh, says Ilya. All of that is absolutely true, and, and Dean wasn't saying any of that. What he was saying was that then the name was taken and adulterated. 
uh, and then eventually belonged to Anheuser Busch, who who produced this kind of makey uppy beer in the United States, which was then uh, uh, advertised. Well, uh, we did find the advert, uh, and if you want Ian any more convincing of just how fake this beer is, listen to this accent. The story of Killian's Red, as told by Christopher Plummer. In Enniscorthy, Ireland, the Red was more than a brew, it was a tradition. As George Killian himself says, For five generations we brewed the Red, this whole town and my family, holding true to the taste. George Killian, Irish brewer, Irish proud, Irish stubborn. Then other folks started telling us that times was changing. Modernized, they said. Compromise, I said. I'll have none of that. Before I changed the taste, I shut the doors. And shut they stayed. And all of Enniscorthy shared in the pride. Then Coors asked George if they could bring back the red. Oh, brew me Killian's red. And why not? If you'll be brewing it my way. Killian's red. One sip and you'll know they're brewing it George's way. Don't forget, I stopped brewing it once. And I can stop it again. <laughs> Yes, so so there you go, Ian. Times times is changing, Ian. I I I would say I imagine that conversation between George and Bush didn't actually take place. Uh, but, but, can I do it my way? Well, yeah. no, there, there was a George, and yeah. he was uh, uh, he he lived up until two thousand and ten. His son Dougie now is is running GH Leadstone and Scorthy. Right. Okay. So it's it's a, a family with a long brewing tradition. It's just that I'm guessing that that brewing tradition didn't involve a conversation about changing an Irish red ale into a lager because that's what the yes. American consumer wanted. Yeah, one more than imagine so yes. yeah one would imagine so but anyway thanks to Christopher Plummer for uh, um, in, in the that's, uh, that advert is from 1982 so uh-huh. it's the 40th anniversary of yet another horrific Irish accent uh, committed to film uh, right uh, speaking of uh, the words horrific and film uh, the Fast and Furious franchise is coming to an end oh, I knew you'd enjoy this one I really did so yeah the franchise is coming to an end very stu- soon it's still going strong we've another year or a little bit less than a year to wait for the two part finale for Fast X or Fast 10 so they kind of obviously changed the name of it these call it Fast and Furious whatever number it was yeah. we're at the 11th film now in the franchise um, but this is a two part finale and Vin Diesel was asked why there was two parts um, but there's apparently there's still not an awful lot of ground to cover Vin Diesel you said mean, I just, complex I just, character I, development has to take yes, place still yeah. yes. but um, what, what the interesting thing about this is actually that um, um Donna Langley, who's um, Universe's uh, picture chief, she was a confirmed in a recent interview that uh, they would love to see a Fast and Furious all-female cast. And there's been a lot of talk about this online okay. the last few days. There's a lot of females uh, in it, including Helen Mirren, which I didn't know. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez, obviously I'm not watching the Fast and Furious. <laughs> I don't think they're aimed at me. Um, and uh, <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez, Jordan Brewster, Natalia Emmanuel, they've all starred in the movie so far, so they could be in a reboot. This is just spectacular. Speculation, um, but the first part of Fast X is currently scheduled to be released in May nineteenth uh, next year. Um, but we'll have to wait and see about the the all female pa- cast. But they're really not giving up on this, are they? They're, but, uh, they're keeping it been... going. We could end up having another eleven movies purely based on female characters. 
Yeah, maybe. Dick and Tristan has a No, but they're like, they're, they're bringing out one next year and then there'll be another one. Yeah, so this is yeah. like, a, yes, exactly. So there's two parts to this finale. So right. they're, they're, the first part is next May and then I don't know when the actual second part of the finale of FFF10, Fast 10, right. uh, comes out. But yeah, it's two parts. So. Ah, right, so when the yeah. one coming out next year, half of uh, the human race are wiped out. But then the one after <laughs> well, that, they go back in time and fix yeah. it. Isn't that... That's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that's what happens. There was, yeah. there was no casualties Sorry, that's a F9. terrible spoiler. There was, no, a, there was absolutely no casualties in F9, though. So all of the remaining cast Right. Are, there was a scene in that last film where they hit... The other way, it's, it's, it started out as Point Break with Cars and now it's, you know, sci-fi action yeah. thrill. But there was a scene in the last film where they hinted at the fact that because the main characters have never died, they might actually be invincible. And I would now put everything I own on that being part of the plot of the next two Fast and Furious films, that they actually have superpowers. Wow. There you go. (laughs) Right, okay. (laughs) Anyway, uh, another... uh, uh, The the next Black Panther is coming out, Wakanda Forever, and uh, Rihanna has made uh, um, a song for it. Yes, new music come out for it today. Lazy Wagon. She hasn't done anything since when? (laughs) Since 2016. 2016. Look at... She has been doing stuff. She's She's huge in pants, as we were saying before we came on. She's huge in knickers, bigger than Mike Baldwin. (laughs) She um, has a makeup line called Finty Beauty. That's her surname, actually. I didn't know that. Um, That's her actual surname. So she's... uh, Savage by Fenty Lingerie and she's Fenty Beauty uh, but she hadn't released any music since 2016 but she did have a baby lately so we have to cut her some okay, there's that. and she yeah. has just been she could pro- pay for the help though really she could yeah she probably has ah, a, she's probably doing it all herself you know. no she oh, be doing okay, it all herself right. uh, her and ASAP Rocky her, her partner <laughs> um, so she the song was written and it's a tribute and uh, what's the baby's name I don't know. ASAP or Little ASAP. Little yeah. ASAP Junior. <laughs> ASAP his actual name. I, I don't know. Oh no, I don't know I either. Don't <laughs> I don't know what anybody's calling. I don't even know if it's a boy or a man yeah. or a child or a boy yeah. girl. A bird or a child, yes, as I say. We do have to go at large shouting at me there to go to a commercial break. So we go to a break. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Right, let's uh, move on. We've only about like seven seconds left to do all the remaining items in the show. Uh, tell us about the next beer, Dean. Well, just to help things along, I've decided to do two. So, okay, uh, that's it. Two at a time, that's it. <laughs> no, Finally, quickly. men drinking. So we've got uh, Misfit uh, Irish Red Ale from Treaty City down in Limerick and Killarney Brewing Company Rutting Red Ale. And again, one of the ways that you get to understand the style is by lining up three, or in my case, about 11 of them and tasting all 11, one after the other, and then looking for the similarities between them. Mm. So what you're looking at with Red Ale, the reason why it's a style, uh, despite what Martin might argue, um, is because you've got a number of beers that all have similar characteristics. They're brewed um, with uh, moulds that are mid-colour moulds. They're called stewed moulds, which give you caramel toffee flavours, and dark moulds that give you... um, most flavours like cocoa powder. So with uh, both of these beers, you have that kind of malt base in them, and then the ale brings out some fruitiness, typically kind of hedgerow, blackberry, blackcurrant uh, type fruitiness. Why hedgerow? I, I, <laughs> having never eaten a hedgerow, why, why specifically that part of the countryside? The, the, the types of berries that grow in a hedgerow, which right, tend okay. to be darker berries, you know, you tend to get blackcurrants and, and sometimes redcurrants mm. and so on. Um, but generally with um, beers, when you've got darker mm. malts, the fruit flavours that tend to come through tend to be the Fruit flavors associated with darker berries and with lighter ones. There's, you there's tend definitely to. more hedgerow on that one. 
uh, than that one. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, that was yeah, the yeah. treaty city yeah, is the yeah. one that you're pointing at. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and then now it, finally in response to Martin's question, I'm figuring that seeing as as all good historians do, you look back in history and you pick the facts that suit you uh, to make your argument. He's arguing that Irish red ale is bogus style by picking Killians. I'm going to argue that bitter is a bogus style because uh, originally beer was brewed by monks and monks travelled all across Europe. So I'm guessing that Irish monks influenced the development of English bitter. And as a result of that, English bitter has really grown out of and been influenced and enhanced by Irish beer. So I think we should call English bitter English <laughs> Irish red ale. Isn't that just escalating the whole thing? Yes. Uh, <laughs> aren't we just, haven't we had enough fighting? We don't have a good years. tradition of that in yeah. this country. Martin, uh, I bet Martin hasn't been convinced to change his stance or anything like that I, I, since I he I think he might be a little bit tongue-in-cheek. All right, OK. Let's hope so. Before his tongue is pulled out of his cheek, I would imagine, uh, by certain people. Right, th- th- now we did know there was going to be a Whitney Houston we biopic uh, and I suppose a lot of people were wondering like who's going to be singing who's going to be singing yeah. and I can now confirm that it will be Whitney's voice that is um, played out in every song through every performance that Naomi Aki plays um, or that Naomi Aki acts um, so 97% of the singing will be Whitney singing um, she watched hours of footage you know trying to channel and she does do an absolutely amazing job I'm sure of channeling Whitney but when it came to the singing they just didn't think that anybody could capture the vocal genius of of the superstar so um, uh, Clyde Davis had said in recent days that it was obvious that um, Whitney's voice had to be used and not Naomi That's Aki's. interesting yeah because so, you think as an, as, as an actor you'd kind of go yeah but those you know, high I'm notes are high. the whole thing you know yeah, that, that's uh, the Billie Holiday one that they did really, I wasn't Billie Holiday singing it no, 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 at all no. uh, I think you're talking yourself out of an Oscar if you're going to use someone else's well, voice yeah. too but she's miming and miming is yeah. difficult I don't, I don't think it's great I tell you miming is really hard I was in a Joe Dolan video once it's really hard to do <laughs> it's not where it's this yeah. going to go I'm telling you I'm telling you it was a Joe Dolan he, made, he did a cover of Brilliant Disguise and I was an RT at the time and they got they were just hauling people off you know out of the canteen to go go down and mime to a little bit of Brilliant Disguise the only part <laughs> who could do it properly was one of the fellas in boy zone of course because <laughs> I don't have to finish that sentence do I? The screenwriter for this Anthony McCarran has a habit of uh, writing Oscar worthy roles so by the right, time January okay. does rock around maybe Naomi Aki might be a front, front runner for best actress who okay. knows we'll yeah. see we'll see right we'll move on to our second uh, movie of the day it is Wendell and Wild. here's a clip jeez can, can you believe that vain glorious blowhard? I just love him, can't leave him. Dame souls have to praise him. At our fair, folks will be lined up wanting to get in. Indeed. Only, how are we going to pay for it? I know how. Yes, Wild? Remember that rich soul of the dang? The, the, the Nigerian prince? Yeah. He said if we helped him escape, that's nothing but a scam, Wild. Right, okay, that's uh, Wendell and Wilde. And as you were saying earlier, this is that stop motion animation, which can be a bit creepy to, to my eye sometimes. Uh, it can be. And I'm trying to focus on Wendell and Wilde when all I'm really thinking about is uh, trying to find that clip of the Joel Dolan video you might have back there. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's, uh, <laughs> sure it's there, yeah. Yeah, this is bringing Henry uh, Selick uh, back to uh, the big and small screen because this is going to be in cinemas this weekend and on Netflix at the same time. Uh, Henry Selick has only ever directed five films. We're talking The Nightmare Before Christmas, James and the Giant Peach. Uh, Coraline was in there too. Uh, as I said earlier, Tim Burton gets most of the credit for The Nightmare Before Christmas, but it was Henry Selick 
Dominic Joint and he is uniting here collaborating with Jordan Peele on the screenplay and that means that there is going to be something dark and again as we said at the top not as weighty as Jordan Peele's previous efforts we're actually going back to what he used to do uh, because Jordan Peele's background is largely in comedy uh, known uh, yeah, primarily yeah. at the beginning of his career True, for yeah. his wonderful sketches with Keegan-Michael Key on Comedy Central uh, so plot wise we have this young punk rock orphan uh, per, uh, voiced by Lyric Ross her name is Kat and she is the type of kid in a horror film that she thinks she has killed her parents she absolutely did kill her parents in this <laughs> if she had not screamed because she saw an insect in the back of the car her mum and dad would not have driven off the bridge and they would still be alive but that's what happens okay. and she spends the next five six years a bit years. of a burden <laughs> to carry yes <laughs> she spends the next five or six years of her life kind of you know spiralling and she's you know in and out of uh, juvie she ends up in this uh, boarding school in her old town which has kind of gone to which is the whole town has just gone to ground um, and she doesn't know it but she is a hell maiden which is uh, <laughs> she has basically I'm trying not to make this possibly yeah. ridiculous but it is quite cumbersome but she has this connection to the underworld which is handy because we then have these dim-witted jovial demons in the underworld who are you know the, the titular anti-heroes the, the, the Wendell and Wild. they're portrayed by Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele and they want to build themselves an underworld carnival but their dad portrayed by Ving Reams won't let them so they connect with the Hell Maiden and they say will you help us get funding so we can build a carnival and in return we'll bring back your mum and dad that is so complicated and I'm going to now tell you that you should watch this thing even though you probably you probably think you might need a lie down after that synopsis and I haven't even mentioned a bit about the priest the politician the prison there's an awful lot in there Sean but I will say it's delightful it and is, is so, so are we looking at is there like bits in the real world and bits in the underworld that happens it's all it's it, half of it takes place in, in uh, actually more than half of it takes place in the land of the living and then the rest of it takes place in this really uh, vibrant well realised delightfully odd kind of underworld um, And but it's when Wendell and Wilde come up to the surface and they're messing about with real people and kind of you know establishing themselves in the land of the living that the film really comes alive if you've ever wanted to see Key, Key and Peel from the Key and Peel sketches back together but in awesome kind of horror comedy form this this is just a gift for anyone who's been looking forward to seeing what they do next I thought it was just so lovely so clever yes the plot is incredibly busy but I was on board with it and it's brilliant brilliant to look at uh, yeah. yeah I could not recommend this more uh, and uh, why did they think she's the woman to get them the funding or is it just like she's the only person they know yeah, has you she know, got Sean, contacts I can't then? explain everything Sean oh, okay <laughs> fair enough yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, there's some suspension of disbelief just a little bit yeah. is, this in, is this in cinemas Chris <laughs> it's in cinemas for the next week uh, yeah. to tie in with Halloween and then it's, uh, it's also on Netflix alright yeah. fantastic stuff Movies and booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk.